0: From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C.
1: Were slums created with people who slept under the stars for a long time? It created a humanitarian crisis. You've heard this story
0: before, but we were living it.
1: This island
0: lived it, and it is still in the memory of this community.
2: In today's episode, we are welcoming Bianca Napoleone, a Fall 2020 Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities Intern.
3: She is the author of On Language and Colony, a story map that explores the linguistic trajectory of Puerto Rico through a colonial lens.
4: Hola, and welcome to La Biblioteca, an exploration of the Library of Congress collections that focus on the cultures of Spain, Portugal, Latin America, and the Hispanic community in the United States. I'm Bianca Napoleoni. Season two of La Biblioteca focuses on a Latinx Research Guide, Civil Rights Cases and Events in the United States, a research guide which has been curated here at the Library of Congress. This is our sixth and final episode, which discusses environmental activism on Vieques Island. It has been 21 years since two F-18 jets missed their bombing target and accidentally killed David Sanes Rodriguez, a Puerto Rican security guard and local of Vieques Island. The death of Sanes unleashed global headlines, amassed local, national, and international protests, and exposed the Navy's 60 years occupation of Vieques Island. Vieques Island is a small Puerto Rican municipality, and like its mainland, Viequeses are United States citizens, eligible to vote for their local government, but ineligible for representation in Congress, nor allowed to vote for the president during the general elections. For decades, Vieques was used as a military training range, where thousands of bombs and missiles were fired, all while locals resided a few miles away. Danes death rekindled public denunciation of naval presence in Vieques. Activists and prominent figures performed acts of civil disobedience, setting camps outside bombing ranges, and halting military exercises for a year. In San Juan, thousands of demonstrators took the cost to the streets, demanding environmental justice. These protests led to the permanent shutdown of Vieques's naval base in 2003. The formal naval base is now a national wildlife refuge. Today, Viequeses face economic and health repercussions stemming from former military operations and exacerbated by Hurricane Maria. Vieques currently suffers from high levels of radiation, toxic remains of heavy metals, including lead, nickel, and magnesium, and higher cancer rates among Viequeses in comparison to Puerto Ricans living in the mainland. Few economic opportunities and lack of hospitals in Vieques have also worsened the situation. As a result, thousands of Viequenses are exiting their beloved island. <music>
2: Today, we welcome Dr. Marie Cruz Soto. Marie Cruz Soto teaches at the Gallatin School of Individualized Study at New York University and writes about how imperial and colonial interventions in Vieques have created a vulnerable and unruly population. In addition, Cruz Soto is a peace activist who has participated in Vieques-centered initiatives and transnational networks of solidarity against militarism. Hi, Dr. Cruz Soto. Welcome to the Biblioteca.
1: Hello, everyone. Hello, Lupita and Hernan. Very glad to be here.
2: We would love to start off by knowing more about Vieques Island, which is a part of Puerto Rico. Could you tell us where exactly the island is located and the characteristics of the island? It's, it's usually known as an island, but Puerto Rico is actually
1: an archipelago, and it has a main island, and it has two island municipalities, which are Culebra and Vieques. So Vieques is an island municipality of the Puerto Rican archipelago. Vieques is located to the east of the Puerto Rican main island, and they're very close. From Vieques, you can see the, the, the eastern coast of the Puerto Rican main island.
2: When we think about Puerto Rico, some, including myself, may have not imagined or even realized that the archipelago also includes the island of Vieques which is located away from the mainland with its own history and challenges we would like to shift our focus to the naval occupation of Vieques Dr Cruzotto when was Vieques island occupied by the navy and what was the navy's justification or purpose for occupying Vieques island
1: it happened through expropriation waves. It started in early 1941 when the Congress and Puerto Rican politicians approved the establishment of a navy base. And the justification for the base was basically U.S. participation in World War II. When Congress approved the Navy's entrance into Vieques, it happened in 1941, and Pearl Harbor had not happened yet. So the expropriations that were carried out in Vieques to give the Navy control over three-fourths of the island happened before the U.S. officially entered World War II, even though the justification for it was basically the campaign-led in World War II. And within that war effort, the U.S. and the British were concerned that Germany posed a threat to an area that was strategically important to them. And for different reasons, but I'll mention just two. Caribbean was important for both empires in terms of the flow of oil and the flow of commerce. And in this, there are different sites across the Caribbean that were important for both in terms of Venezuela, different islands of of the Lesser Antilles, and obviously the Panama Canal. And also the the U.S., when they started construction in the base, they were thinking they could transfer the British Royal Navy to Vieques and have it be there. That didn't turn out to be needed, but that was part of the justification also for establishing a base in Vieques.
2: 1941 was the year when the Navy began to expropriate three-fourths of Vieques' land. What was the population of Vieques prior to 1941? In the
1: 1940s, the population of the island was 10,362 people.
2: As we begin to delve into the 1999 Vieques protest, we must also consider what happened to the Viequeses, who were living on the island while Navy forces began arriving. The Library of Congress possesses a 1941 digital photograph, which was captured by Jack Delano. Where children from 25 families whose land had been taken over the Navy are living in tents. Dr. Cruzoto, could you bring more context to this image and tell us more about the Viequenses that were living on the islands before the Navy occupation? What, what happened to these families?
1: Spain in Vieques created the conditions for a sugar colony, and then the U.S. came in in 1898 and basically cultivated the same thing, kept Vieques as a sugar colony. And I mention this because there was an elite that controlled the sugar industry, controlled most of the land, and reaped the rewards of the sugar extraction production. And the majority, the overwhelming majority of the population of the island were basically poor wage earners that were working the sugar fields or were in jobs that were somehow related to the sugar industry. So that was the situation in the 1930s before the Navy came in. So what did the Navy find when they came in? A very vulnerable community of poor people of color having a colonial U.S. citizenship with no representation in Congress, no representation in Washington. So the navy negotiated the expropriation process with a, a handful of landowners, and then the rest of the people were deemed by the navy to be squatters, even though they had all sorts of usufruct uh, rights under Puerto Rican law. What the navy did was basically take control of three fourths of the island. And part of what they did with that land that they acquired, they established firing range to the east. In the middle, they created as basically a land strip. Meant to be used by civilians. But next to that land strip was Navy-owned land where they put the expropriados, as they're known here, as they're known in Spanish, right? The people that were expropriated. There are documentations that show that Navy officials saw them as dirty, poor, having no rights. Many of them were literally dumped like trash in Navy-owned tracts of land that had no infrastructure for human habitation. And they said, well, if you are not willing to just leave the island, we'll give you where to live, but this is Navy-owned land. And you can be evicted without much prior notice, and that's, that's what it is. As anyone can imagine, basically there were slums created with people who slept under the stars for a long time. It created a humanitarian crisis that the Navy then proclaimed to had no responsibility over. It said, well, that's not our problem. That's the problem of the government of Puerto Rico, of the colonial government based in San Juan.
3: So the naval base shut down in 2003. Can you talk a little bit about what led to this eventual shutdown coming out of this context that you've mentioned for us here?
1: Basically, from the start, with the entrance of the Navy, there were protests and the Navy left because of people protesting. Right. And a really intense solidarity movement that led to that. And people protested basically from the 1940s. They based their protests in different things for different arguments, like we need jobs, we need to be able to make a living, we're hungry. And um, eventually they organized. And throughout the years, there came to be seasoned community activists who at different points throughout the decades of the military occupation did different things. And some of the most well-known moments were, for example, in the late 1970s and early 1980s when there was a civil disobedience movement with fishermen, defying Navy policies that they could not be in the waters at any given time, and putting their boats in the middle so that the Navy couldn't practice, the Navy and its allies couldn't practice in the island. And that was accompanied by people doing civil disobedience on land too. So that happens in the late 1970s, early 1980s, People over, well, I would say starting in the 1980s also started articulating environmental concerns about the Navy's presence in the island, and they mobilized for that too. And then in 1999, there was the death of the civilian guard, Sanis, and that sparked eventually the civil disobedience movement that made President Bush order the Navy out of the island by 2003. That was, you know, the Navy left the island because of the labor of people within the island that had been working for it for many decades. And it also responded to the intense solidarity that people within the Puerto Rican main island also showed and people across the world within the U.S. and throughout Latin America and throughout the world including other spaces, other places that have been similarly militarized, have experienced colonial, uh, militarized colonialism like Vieques in, for example, in Okinawa and Guam and other spaces.
3: Mm, that That is so important. I think it's really, really important that you're mentioning this solidarity here. And I would love to hear a little bit about um, the repercussions that occurred to the island municipality after the Navy left, and maybe how there there was still this response from Roja uh to the environmental consequences of the land.
1: So as you mentioned, there's the environmental devastation. Vieques is a really beautiful island, and it may seem to people who come here now that it wasn't affected, but basically because part of the was damaged by the navy's presence is not seen to the naked eye, and then the places that are really damaged that can be seen, visitors are not allowed. Right, so we can't see the most, the areas most impacted by the navy's presence. So there's environmental devastation that lingers and there's a whole process of the cleanup process that is, again, another struggle that people in Vegas have been waging of trying to get the, the Navy to do an adequate cleanup. And that is another big struggle for that to happen. Another consequence of the Navy is, well, there's a health crisis in the island. There are all sorts of statistics that are quite troubling in terms of the numbers of the people affected by chronic diseases, by cancer, by cardiovascular disease in the island, especially when compared to the main island. So the numbers here are way higher So there's a health crisis that's going on within this very poor community actually has no hospital right now because since Hurricane Maria, well, it had a clinic and even that right now it's not working. So people were actually after Maria also going to their clinic, to their hospital, which were just basically tents. Other legacies of the Navy's presence, there's obviously the poverty, the widespread poverty in the island, and the Navy left a very vulnerable and poor population that is right now suffering from different, again, health crisis, poverty. There's also gentrification that has been happening post-2003 with people moving in, buying land, and displacing the local population that has become the cheap labor force for newcomers. So that is a legacy of the Navy, but I would also say that a legacy of the Navy's presence have been the the breeding of a particular kind of anti-colonial unruliness among islanders.
3: Thank you for sharing with us, Dr. Cruz Soto. Is there anything else that you would like to mention or highlight for us regarding um, the situation in Vieques?
1: It's been an attempt to make the Navy, again, go back to the language of reparations, but to assume responsibility for the damage that it caused in the island, right? And a lawsuit in place asking for reparations, asking for the Navy to say, well, you know, take responsibility. And so if you take responsibility and think about reparations, you need to do things like be able to help the community establish a hospital, right?
3: Thank you so much, Dr. Soto. Now, we are joined by Mirna Pagan a protector of the environment, an artist-activist dedicated to the defense of peace, justice, and equality. The will to make a difference with an open heart and compassion has inspired decades of activism in Vieques and taken her to places around the globe to share the story of her beloved, brave community. As a mother of five and abuela of nine, she is committed to the development and empowerment of the younger generations on this journey of healing and transformation of our world so that they can play an active role in creating a good life for all. Welcome to La Biblioteca. Mirna, we would love to start off by hearing a little bit about your background. How long have you lived in Vieques and how long have you been a part of that community?
0: Oh, my dear. My background starts in the 1940s when my family was part of the diaspora of that time. We left San Juan for New York City. And after many moves, we settled in the Bronx. My parents, well, they struggled and succeeded in giving us a good education and a dignified life. And then the family focus at that time was on assimilation. And I was blissfully ignorant of the political upheaval, the economic crisis, and the social chaos in Borinquen. That awakening came when the family moved back to Puerto Rico. And at that time, back in San Juan, I met Charlie Connolly, an Irishman from Connecticut, who had trained as a Marine for Korea in Vieques. And his dream was to live on that paradise island. Well, the universe conspired, as they say, and we fell in love. We married and we set sail for the fishing village of Esperanza. We settled there to raise a family, and that was 55 years ago. So we settled here in Esperanza, and our mantra was to become an integral part of the community, which was the gift of a lifetime. And how were we to contribute to this, our new family? Well, fortunately, we stayed on, we learned, we became much wiser by being here. Uh, Like in 1979, I became a founding member of the Vieques Conservation and Historical Trust. And as the first president, succeeded in having the beautiful, magnificent, wondrous bioluminescent bay of Vieques having it designated as a nature preserve to protect it. I founded a, a group called Taína, and Taína was uh, stood for taller de arte islanena asociada. It was arts and education and dance and drama and mainly became a pottery workshop for women. Then Charlie was busy. He was fishing. He was diving. And the protests were on by the Fishermen's Association, which didn't exist yet. It was on for the fishermen, la Comunidad. Charlie actually then organized it, was the first president of the Asociación de Pescadores, and he also became the editor, I was his assistant, I would say, of the Vieques Times. And the Vieques Times was a bilingual newspaper which we ran for 18 years.
3: It's so lovely to hear about how you came to to Vieques and about, about your story. I think it's so important how you mentioned that you and your family wanted to make this concerted effort to be a part of the community. And I think that that speaks to your involvement since then with some of the important advocacy and activist efforts that have come out of the, the work that you have done. I would love to pinpoint what your community in Vieques was going through uh, during the the Navy's occupation. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you and Vieques were experiencing at that time?
0: Well, I will commence with the fact that the military for six decades was bombing Vieques in maneuvers And a trillion pounds of explosives fell on this tiny island. The presence of the military was overwhelming. The sailors, the Marines, they arrived by thousands for military maneuvers, overran the tiny island, often causing mayhem and violent outbreaks with the men, sexual assaults on the women, and theft from the merchants. The military would intimidate the complaining islanders to drop charges. The land expropriations were traumatizing the families. Families were displaced. The psychological effects were especially harmful to the children. This is not a new story. You've heard this story before, but we were living it. This island lived it, and it is still in the memory of this community. Because the level of anxiety affected everybody with fear for their safety on the skies for the planes and bombs exploding during the maneuvers. There was anger and sorrow in being collateral damage to the war games. And contrary to popular belief, the Navy did not provide employment since their base was on Seba, which is on a different island and that was used as their headquarters. The ECS was for bombing and maneuvers, for the testing of weapons, conventional and non-conventional weapons, and experimenting with napalm, Agent Orange, and even depleted uranium. Well, our protests were ignored for decades, and then came the fateful day in 1999 when the Navy dropped an errant bomb that hit its observation post and killed David Sanis, a Vyekes civilian. That's 1999, that fateful day. And there exploded the ire of decades of suffering and abuse. And the people rose, invaded the impact area, offering themselves as human shields to stop the bombing. It was basta ya ni una bomba más. And thousands of supporters came from Puerto Rico, the big island, from the diaspora, and from all corners actually, all corners of the globe. People came and joined us in esta lucha para el cese del bombardeo, to stop the bombing of the island. Well, el pueblo forced the Navy to stop the bombing and close Camp Garcia. And President Bush spoke at that time, saying these words. These are our friends and neighbors. And they don't want us there. And then he closed the base. Well, we had succeeded in changing the biggest, most powerful military that the world has known. Without one bullet being shot, we were a peaceful movement. But we were passionate in our lucha. And, well, we overcame. And uh, I must say, as they admitted themselves, they were not good neighbors.
2: The death of Sanes rekindled public denunciation against naval occupation in 1999 and set forth a wave of activism and solidarity, not only within Puerto Rico, but also throughout the world, a lucha that to date has not retreated. Mrs. Pagan, you are an activist and the president of Vidas Viequenses Valen. Could you tell us more about your activism within this organization? What is the vision and purpose of Vidas Viequenses Valen?
0: And Vidas Viequenses Valen is a grassroots movement. We gather together for this purpose and formally, officially, We advocate publicly for the environmental and health issues carrying the voice of our people from the homeland into national and international venues. After six decades of bombing, Vieques is one of the most contaminated places on earth. This has resulted in the highest rates of cancer in Puerto Rico, and the health situation is compromised across the board. Higher rates of diabetes, asthma, heart problems, kidney failure, cirrhosis of the liver. Well, as a Superfund site, a cleanup site of priority, we are at this time undergoing cleanup and hopefully restoration of our lands. We must oversee this monumental endeavor, ensuring that the military does its job to remediate the harm done on two-thirds of our land and all of our people. So we advocate for the use of the finest available technology and honest use of the millions of dollars in contracts to heal our defiled paradise. We are also, I am an active member of the Navy Restoration Advisory Board. It's a... uh, an instrument for the community and the Navy to update on what's happening out in the cleanup. How's the progress? And how how are we being protected in the process? We are committed to informing and empowering the community with knowledge of Navy activities.
2: Thank you, Mrs. Pagan. It's so uplifting to hear about your active role in Vidas Yakinsis Valen, and as well as your involvement in other committees affiliated with the well-being and recovery of Vieques. The island is not only facing the consequences of past naval occupation, but also the trials and tribulations brought forth by Hurricane Maria in 2017 and the COVID-19 pandemic. Mrs. Pagan, could you tell us more on how Vieques has been affected by COVID-19 and Maria?
0: Vieques was decimated by Hurricane Maria. This was September 2017. After grappling with an emergency situation for decades, we are still in recovery, which translates to, number one, there still is no hospital to attend this underserved, isolated community with no access to medical services beyond emergency stabilization. Part of that situation, the toxics, has been something that we've concentrated on greatly because as processing the cleanup of the Superfund site, the Navy practices open burning and open detonation of the bombs that are being recovered that did not explode the first time they were thrown on the island, to the island we have been fighting for detonation chambers where they would not fire these bombs and these explosions and set all these toxics off into the environment and instead enclose them in a chamber. They're built. These chambers are available. And now We have the money to get one. The Navy recently announced that the installation of our first chamber, our first chamber should be installed and running within six to eight months. After decades of marches and protests, the toxic damage will be somewhat Abated. The Navy anticipates the cleanup to run for many more years 10 more years cleaning, surface cleaning the land, and 20 more years to attack the underwater explosives that still remain off our shore. We have lost almost 1,000 residents from Yercus. Those who remain are disproportionately older and poorer. And ironically, the best-paying jobs are in munitions cleanup, decommissioning the bombs left by the Navy. The pandemic has truncated tourism and business opportunities. And the only factory which we had, which employed about 100 workers, has shut down. Dieckes is vulnerable to the forces of speculation and gentrification and displacement of the population. The young require more opportunities for higher education, for a job, for good health care. And, as I say, many have left. We have discovered the strength and talents necessary to carry on and even to dream again about building a new vieques where natives can prosper and thrive. The younger generation is turning to agriculture and fishing as a sustainable and necessary means of improving the health and providing income for the elf. The spirit of these survivors and their commitment to protect and defend their island home is cause A celebration, never to abandon the paradise they love.
3: Wow, okay, so those were two very impactful interviews that we just listened to. I would love us to start with you, Bianca. Can you tell us about the Puerto Rican experience with Yeke?
4: Of course, thank you, I'm mom. So my name is Bianca Napoleoni. Um, I've lived in Puerto Rico all of my life. I'm currently 27 and I have completed my degrees in Puerto Rico as well. So I'm born and raised here. This specific episode made me realize that even though this is a very much known event uh, in the island, I was not aware of how deep it went or even the fact that it went on for decades it's truly sad that it took the the death of a person in Vieques for everyone else on the mainland to kind of realize and also globally realize what was happening on the island of Vieques. Um, here in the mainland, we consider Vieques uh, like a forgotten island or Los Olvidados. So one of the things that struck me the most um, listening to Dr. Cruz and Mimina Spagan's interviews was the fact that this, as a Puerto Rican myself, is not delved into as it should be either in education, in schools, or just as a societal conversation among Puerto Ricans in the mainland. When Minaparan was talking about the repercussions in the health of Vieques of Viequeses it filled me with sorrow because the fact that these people are they're part of our island and they are going through a lot not only with what the repercussions of this event, Maria COVID, and all you see in the news regarding Viequeses is either that a new hotel has opened up or or a new Airbnb. Or either that people are dying, that they don't have food, that there are no hospitals, that the ferry is closed. So there's just a very, very clear just a position there where it's, oh, Vieques is amazing. Come visit us. It's like paradise. But then people living there are going through um, unemployment, lack of resources, and poverty. And to be frank, people in the mainland like myself also kind of forget that they are part of the mainland, our island. So it's very powerful to hear what the interviewers were speaking about what was going on to people in our island because we keep forgetting that they are part of Puerto Rico. They are part of our island as well.
3: This concept of lo is so interesting and impactful to me. It reminds me of an interview that we did for another episode of this podcast with Dr. Carlos Manuel Jaro at UCLA, who told us, uh, you know, if we don't remember our history, we lose our history. I think that's so impactful that even in Puerto Rico which is like so close to Vieques and Vieques is a part of Puerto Rico, there's already this aspect of that history of the environmental and health and physical and and all these impacts that came from the situation of Vieques Island are not necessarily a part of the wider, you know, Puerto Rican history.
2: That's a great point, Armand, and I think that in order to understand why Vieques is one of the most contaminated places on earth with alarming rates of cancer, diabetes, and asthma. In comparison to Puerto Rico's mainland, we must be exposed to the past and engage in dialogue and attempt to find solutions that address the current environmental and health crisis in the region. Not only is Vieques suffering from a health crisis, but there are also high levels of gentrification and lack of opportunities that have encouraged the younger generations to leave the island. And all this could be attributed back to the health crisis, Hurricane Maria and and COVID-19. I believe that it's crucial and inspiring to also know about Vieques' activists, including Mirna Pagan, and their role in Uplifting this community and amplifying the voices that have been forgotten. They, they certainly help us to understand Vieques' current situation.
3: What you're mentioning now, Lupita, about we have to understand what the Vieques are experiencing today, I think that to me reminds me of how different each of the issues that we've explored throughout this podcast season is, but how it's all affecting the issues that the Latino, Latinx community. Is, is undergoing. And and to me, that means that, you know, when we talk about the Latinos of the US, then we have to make sure we're including everyone. We have to make sure that that is an acknowledgement of everyone from the Viaquenses uh, in Puerto Rico all the way to the small communities of Latinos that exist in Maine. I think that we have to understand that these issues of Latinx civil rights are really abroad in the way that they affect the community, but I I think it's important for us when we talk about activism for Latinos, or when we talk about changing policies, or advocating, calling our Congress members, that it's not only, you know, one Latino community that we should be keeping in mind, but rather the fact that there are communities of all different types of experiences, especially De Vieques, as you mentioned, one of the most contaminated places on earth.
2: I, I agree, Herman. And that brings up the point of there being this solidarity movement involving Vieques against its naval occupation. Um, Vieques became a solidarity movement that gained international headlines. There were protesters that came to Vieques from, from across the globe because they also felt that they were part of, of this larger movement to make change. And this ultimately led to the shutdown of Vieques in, in back in 2003, a a goal that occurred after decades of naval occupation. And I think what you bring up is an important point. There must be solidarity within the Latinx community. And in order to move forward as a community, one must be integrated and one must also do their part. And I think being aware of other communities' histories, and advocated for the well-being of all. it's a form of solidarity with not only a group's past,
4: but also groups present. I agree, Lubita. And just hearing you speaking about solidarity movements, but also the powerful or the power that people hold when they want to evoke change and how activism and protests, riots, whatever it may be, Pacific demonstrations, how you can really evoke change as small as it may be. But it's just amazing to hear the narrative that Mina Pagan shared and how people were used as human shields, how the fishermen were blocking the navy boats, and just how, again, what you were mentioning about everyone joining in for the cause, protesting, and how they really did evoke the change that was needed for a long time.
3: I honestly feel like this is our own little call to action. Over the course of this podcast, we've asked each of our interviews at the end, what what is your call to action to your community, to the Library of Congress audience? And I think that after going through this process, it feels like we're getting to this place where we recognize that our call to action is to accept that activism and advocacy has to come from all these different places and encompass all these different communities even when a term is broad as you know Latino is the one that's used to to encompass them I would encourage myself even but you know anyone who has really taken the time to listen to our podcast to really consider what it would mean to take that next step and embrace holistic advocacy for for the Latinx community I think it would be Great to hear from both of you as well. What would be your call to action?
4: What comes to mind is knowledge is power. And as an education major, I've always taught that to my students. And I think my call to action right now is to speak about these events, share this amazing podcast with my students, with my peers, with my colleagues, share all of the resources that are not only available at the LOC, but just for for me right now, my call to action is just to bring these conversations into place, specifically with the younger generation of Puerto Rico, who are maybe are not aware of not only these events, but the gravity of these situations. What about you, Lupita? Does anything come to mind? Powerful words. Thank you,
2: Bianca. Throughout my time at the library, I've had the privilege of doing research in all these cases and events in relation to the Latinx community, one that has now reached 60 million individuals and one that just keeps on growing. I realized that I didn't grow up learning about people like who was actually born and raised in the same city as I. And after extensive research and collection curation on the Latinx community, my identity has definitely been strengthened. And I have also been empowered by all these stories that may not appear in the K through 12 education system my call to action today is to delve into the history of your community in order to find your identity and
3: become empowered thank you to those who have been listening to us over this podcast season it has been a really impactful process for us to go through this together and i think we really do hope that those who are listening take what we are saying to heart as we finish this podcast season I want our listeners to know that they can find additional resources and library materials on our Latinx civil rights resource page. Regarding this episode, you'll be able to find a congressional research report about Navy training activity in Vieques and Viequesa narratives about the island's activities, among other resources. Bianca, you're in Puerto Rico and Lupita is in Texas. I've been in LA and in Colorado during this time. And yet, we've still been producing this work and working closely with one another. I feel very proud and honored to have known you both and to have shared this experience. It's also like what I would give to go have like cute lunches out in DC together. <laughs>
2: like, an actual cafecito. seat. <laughs> I know,
4: but it's been fun, you guys.
2: I agree. It's been an amazing experience.
4: Happy Hispanic Heritage Month 2021. Thank you for tuning in to La Biblioteca Season 2. I'm Bianca Napoleoni. For more information on the Latinx community and civil rights, visit us online at guides.loc.gov/latinx-civil-rights. Hasta pronto.